hello and welcome everyone to our very first New Republic podcast. I'm super excited. I've, I think I found the most talented people within our industry to join me. I'll let them introduce themselves, but I'll give you their names. I've got Richard from Optimizely. Uh, want to say a big hello? Hello. And I've got Jess from a very well-known brand called NIB. Want to say hi, Jess? Hi. So we are going to spend the next 12 months talking about everything to do with CRO experimentation and the crazy world that it is and, and how uh, we've kind of grown through it and how we're practicing our stuff. And hopefully you can take some of this into your businesses, uh, into your practices and uh, get some benefits out of it. So it's all about knowledge sharing in this. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Rich to Rich, maybe you could give a little bit of intro into who you are, your background, how you came into it, and then hand the baton over to, to Jess. Sure. Thanks, Nima. And hi, everyone. I'm Richard. As Nima said, I'm from Optimizely. I would like my title to be experimentation evangelist, but it isn't actually that. I'm one of the um, startup team that's bringing the Optimizely technology into the Australia and New Zealand market. Uh, in terms of background, I've been working for the last decade in innovative software as a service companies, the, the most recent of which made all their decisions by experimentation. So for the last couple of years, I've now been helping out Optimizely to bring that power of experimentation into other organizations. My experiences across all of Australia, New Zealand and Asia Pacific, uh, range of industries, range of uh, types of companies and departments within those companies. So I help uh, across marketing, product and engineering departments, all with this focus of how do we allow them to make decisions with data um, coming out of experiments. So that's a little summary of me. Over to you, Jess. Hi, yes, yeah, so uh, I'm from NIB. Uh, Digital Optimization Manager is my title. Uh, I suppose I have been at NIB for the majority of the last nine years and over the last five years have been exploring um, building out their experimentation program. So we've kind of worked with uh, agencies and then we've brought the experiment program in-house uh, and so have been growing that for quite some time now. That's me in a nutshell. I don't have as long an explanation as you, Rich. That's because you know what you're doing. Me and Rich are still trying to figure it out. Anyway, um, you'll find me and Rich have a lovely relationship. If we start arguing with each other, don't worry, we're still friends. Anyway, so today, given it's our first one, I thought we'd keep it really basic. Um, and I've got like three questions I want to ask. And the first one I want to say is, I want to ask you guys is, how would you define CRO? What would you use? Uh, so uh, how I would describe it is helping the business to make better decisions on where they can spend money on site. Um, and it's really about having measured improvements that we can kind of help users complete their tasks, whether it be in the sales funnel, uh, whether it be through some of our member services and things like that. Rich? Yeah, from my perspective, uh, I approach it both specifically and broadly. In a specific sense, I think of it around capturing the available conversion. For some organizations, that's revenue. For others, uh, it might be lead form fill-outs. There's, there's a number of different things that you want your site to do. People come to your site every day and don't do that. And I see conversion rate optimization as the practice of being able to get out of your potential customers' ways so that they can do what they came to the site to do. That's the specific one, but more broadly, as I mentioned in the intro, 
I, I see it as bringing the scientific method to digital decision making. Um, every day, people in digital have to make decisions. Should we do this or that? Instead of relying on opinions, this practice allows you to let your customers tell you what the decision should be. Yeah, so, so I, I get that and I, I think I understand it because you guys are practitioners. But if you, if you think about, if you go back down basic, a lot of people still get confused of, well, what's the difference between A-B testing, conversion rate optimization, experimentation? And I find like they're all saying the same thing, but then as you're in this industry long enough, they all mean different things. So like how, how's for you guys, how's A-B testing and CRO different? Are they the same thing? Um, I think A-B testing is probably one method of CRO. Um, there's many different ways in which you can um, look to optimise certain things and test out ideas and really validate that thinking, I suppose, as Richard was saying, helping people make decisions based on actual people going through and um, experiencing different things. But yeah, so I would say that, you know, conversion rate optimization could be A-B testing. There's a multivariate testing. It could be even be like proof of concept type of things that would would go under that umbrella. I've got to tell you, I've, I've actually started really despising the word conversion rate optimization. I just think it's such a, such a non-descriptive word of what it actually tries to achieve. And I, I've kind of, I like the word experimentation way more because I find CRO is all about that point in which a conversion occurs and a conversion action occurs. And it's really, it ties you down to this kind of narrow view of the world. And I like your differentiation between AB and CRO. I agree. I think AB is a practice, uh, an activity that you do within experimentation. But I actually think, Conversion rate optimization is this word that was used to describe something to make it more viable by marketers. But as you get into the practice and you do it, you realize it's so limiting in its focus, which I see you smiling at me. Why are you smiling? Just when you were saying that the naming convention came about to make it easier to sell. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty strong point. Uh, and Jess, I really like your, description that conversion rate optimization encompasses A-B testing and a bunch of other things. We've done uh, a lot of analysis over what makes programs successful around the world. And two of the things that we saw have seen is you need to have really strong analytics and you should be doing something like heat mapping, session recording, or both. And without those, the A-B testing isn't as nearly as strong as it could be. And we speak to a lot of organizations where that's all they do, understanding their analytics yeah. and seeing how people behave on their site then helps them optimize yeah. their conversions. And that's where we started on our journey. So that was my role um, several years ago was actually doing the analytics, looking at heat maps, all that kind of thing to find opportunities on where we could improve the site. And now that has definitely grown. I agree with Nima. I don't use CRO generally as how I describe our experimentation program. And that's mainly because I also think that CRO is more focused on a, a sales kind of funnel where I believe experimentation is not just on site, it's off site. It can be throughout the business, all this kind of thing. But yeah, I think it has grown quite a lot and CRO is a buzzword that everybody wants to jump on. But the experimentation mindset is more, uh, I guess, fluid than that. When did, you, when did you change? It was like easily like early last year when I was like, 
I just don't like this word anymore. Because I kept talking about culture of experimentation and, and in a way I kept saying it and then I kind of understood what it meant, but it was that idea of experimentation as I kind of listened to other speakers and stuff. I started going, you know what? I don't like this word anymore. I'm not going to say it anymore. I'm going to say experimentation. When did, it, when did it change for you? Like at what point did you go, it's just not me. It's not what I do. Um, yeah, I think it, it, would, it would have been a couple of years ago where it's that realisation that it is beyond just improving someone making a sale Um, there are plenty of other user goals that people have on site and it is about helping them make their way through whatever tasks that they are coming there to do I suppose so yeah I think and I think the opportunity within the business of using it in different areas like the same kind of approach seeing that kind of come about has definitely moved me away from that kind of CRO and it's, I feel like CRO can sometimes be a little bit short-sighted sometimes yeah. because it is just on, I want to tick these boxes and get people through where it really should be thinking about, well, what is the end goal um, and how we can kind of get there. You know, we, we just did this, um, this index, the Australian Experimentation Index. And one of the things that I got out of it uh, that really struck home for me was, when people start the program thinking of thinking in a mindset of CRO, when they hit that point where they're trying to scale the business, they can't scale it because the way they've looked at the metrics doesn't align to the end business outcomes. And it's generally focused on a, a marketing or an acquisition focus. So it generally becomes harder to scale it because they can't move across the business. And I, I think that that mental shift needs to occur. I blame the technology companies for putting the word into the market. Rich, what have you got to say for yourself, mate? Yeah, but it built the groundswell, didn't it? So conversion rate optimization then built this practice that that hasn't always been there, but is incredibly powerful. As we, as a collective, are trying to transition beyond just acquisition into other parts of the business, where the concept of experimentation can be powerful, I'm not sure experimentation is the right word. It resonates really well with those who have come from conversion rate optimization, but we were having a conversation with a very large financial services institution who had a confused look on their face the entire time until the end they went, hold on, are you talking about test and learn? So that might actually be a better word to be using that this is test and learn for digital, test and learn throughout a digital experience rather than experimentation, which could be interpreted in a number of ways. It just shows that people are still trying to figure it out, right? The fact that we're still playing with acronyms and wording, it hasn't, like, everyone knows what SEO is. You, you don't call it anything else. It is SEO, right? Like, that's what it is. And I think the practice is still finding itself. So look, given time, let's just, let's bang on to my next question. So I get how you all entered and I get how you see the world. So tell me around, Jess, you said you came from it from an analytics background. You, you were in analytics. I came into it from a UX background. Rich, how did you come into this? Uh, from tech. So I've worked in the marketing tech space. So given we've all come at it in totally semi-different ways, how do you guys, in your, from your perspective of how you've entered, how do you see this practice differing from other digital marketing practices? Like, do you see it as a different craft? Because I know a lot of times when I interview people for roles for strategists, I get guys who say, oh, yeah, yeah I've done this before. And they're like, okay, cool. What, what, you know? What have you done? And they're like, oh, I work on Facebook ads or I work on, you know, I do on, on Google AdWords. I, I do experiments around, you know, my keywords and stuff. And, and I can't discredit it because I get it. I, that, that is a 
format of experimentation, but it differs to what we do, I guess. And, I, and I'm interested in your point of view around how do you think the practice differs? I think uh, that both sides should work together. I think from an on-site experimentation, we've made a lot of progress in terms of working with that marketing side of where they're sending people so that we can optimize where they go next. Yeah. Um, often those two things were uh, siloed and so there could be plenty of experiments going on uh, on Facebook, on search, uh, and then they just get sent willy-nilly onto the site. Whereas it's kind of a process of being able to say, well, where should these these people go and what are they expecting when they come to site and then you can kind of improve them actually getting to that end goal which is probably a sale from a search um, ad. I think they support each other more so than being completely different um, and the mindset should be the same but I also think that experimentation on site is much more scientific based on strong usage or users coming through whereas on Facebook ads and things like that it can often be a limited amount of traffic to make a decision on it so it may not be as statistically significant in that space I have found. Great. So if you were looking specifically at how do I get someone to my site and then how do I deliver what they need from that site, then one is an extension of the other. And the practices of SEO, SEM and the experimentation built into those, that, that is established. Whereas it doesn't seem organizations have traditionally invested resources in then optimizing what happens when they hit that particular owned digital property. And it might be a website, but it might be a mobile app, or it might be further down the customer journey. For instance, an airline in relation to the digital check-in kiosks. There are so many different aspects of someone's digital customer journey that you can improve with knowledge and understanding. And that, in my opinion, comes most strongly from data. So in relation to SEO, SEM, then it's an extension, and I think you need both. And investing in both pays dividends, but then making it more broadly into um, the marketing tech category, anything to do with experimentation, I love because the return that you get is so transparent. I know organizations invest a lot in other programs, for instance, um, customer satisfaction, uh, the much used net promoter score, and those are incredibly important to measure how well you're doing with your customers and help inform things that you should do. But the ROI between that process of measurement and what you get back from that activity isn't as clear as experimentation, which shows you we have proven that we are getting this many more clicks, this much more revenue, this many more repeat visits. And that makes it quite exciting, I think, as a practice. Yeah, so I completely agree with that. And I think it is painting that whole picture um, of where you can bring in actual validated learnings based on some of the information that we get from customers. And there's, uh, we have lots of user research that we do um, and we look into our customer data and uh, how they are responding to us 
but that is one part of the picture. So it's really combining that learning, those qualitative data points with actual quantitative, this is what they're doing on, on site when we have applied those things to really create a more holistic view of this works better than that. I, I, I kind of, I'm going to be slightly controversial. I, I, I actually see there's a, there's a big difference for me. And I, I actually think um, the whole the practice splits in two. And Rich knows what I'm about to say because I've, I've kind of smashed it home with him all the time. I, I actually think there's media-led and I think there's um, experience-led. And I think the practices differ because if you look at Facebook, you're looking for an action that triggers, uh, you're looking for a behavior that triggers a need or a want. And when you come down to experimentation at our level, you really, there's two levels to it. There is really around facilitating a question or facilitating an outcome to occur. So the need state has occurred in the media stage or the awareness of a need state or what stage is done in the media stage. When they land on these owned media, so I kind of separate between paid and owned. When they land on these owned media, that's where, you know, the, our type of experimentation kicks in, which is really looking at what's the, what's the customer journey? What's the uh, stage in the funnel? How are they experiencing what I'm delivering? What do they need to do? And if you, in my opinion, at that point, it's much more of a UX-led discussion than it is around how you trigger a need or a want. Ideally, by the time they get there, there is a need or a want, just at what part of the buying journey that they're in is what we try to uncover. So I kind of separate it into two. There's media-led and experience-led. And, and my belief is that guys in the experience-led it's heavier and much more, um, it's a much more complex problem to solve because it's multiple user journeys, uh, complex experiences, uh, and you're working on these assets that are gigantic. Like I'm sure the NIB site is not small. And some of the clients that we've worked in, they've got gigantic websites. So trying to navigate those and optimize the experience through those funnels, that's kind of how I see where the, the difference is. is. One is around how do I find those people? How do I trigger a need? And the other one is, is there's multiple ways that someone can move through this journey. How do I optimize that experience? So that's how I see them differ. Do you, do you guys agree or do you think, or maybe I'm just answering one part of a bigger picture that Rich kind of spelt out. It's, I, I guess it, it's different to how I've heard it described before. And for me, something that's calling out to me is um, the identification of those audiences. So let's say um, media has tricked, that need how do we make sure that we know that we've found out that need and we can target that particular audience and give them their own journey I suppose yeah. uh, so I think they are sounds a bit like personalization yeah to some extent right <laughs> um, that's generally where we're all going but yeah I think it is I think it's a hand-holding exercise rather than a this versus that approach. Yeah, get it, get it. Rich, agreed? Agreed. And if we're breaking it into bite-sized chunks, I look at it through two lenses. One is optimization and one is innovation. And generally, the metrics that you are using in your experiments are different. One is I am trying to drive extra conversions and find a local maximum but the other is I am trying to do something innovative and jump to a new curve. And the practice of experimentation can be used for both. Generally, when we talk about conversion rate optimization, it's only the first. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. Okay, cool. Got a good idea. Let's talk about... Jess, I'm going to throw this to you because I think out of both of us, I think out of both me and Rich, you know, you've kind of put some processes into, a, into your brand and how you set it up. So, like, what were the challenges when you were starting the program? And I'd, I'd love to go all the way back, like, when you started to where you are today. Like, are the same challenges, are they different challenges? Which ones, like, suck the most? What's sucking right now? Generally, just, just talk about sucking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, right now, everything's peachy. Nothing could ever go wrong. Um, but where we started all those years ago, it wasn't... How long ago, Jess? How long ago? How many... uh, it was, I think, five years ago. So we have been doing experimentation in some regard for 10 years or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But it has been... Uh, uh, it started off with um, maybe three to five tests a year. Um, one of those might be the call to action button on the homepage and now it's, it's much more evolved. So in terms of challenges and getting started, we were really lucky in that we had a, a executive buy-in to explore and try out um, working with a, a managed service, I suppose, um, in uh, getting started with optimization. Um, and for us, a question, Jess. When you yep. say, we, I always say you've got to get executive buy-in, but I've never actually stopped to ask, like, what executive? Are we talking like the chief, uh, chief executive officer? Or are we talking like the COO? Are we, like, who is this CMO? So as a company, uh, we have a very innovative uh, CEO who's very focused on uh, this racing the red queen um, mentality. So placing bets, trying new things. And I think that is uh, essentially where this uh, test of having an op optimization agency come on board um, has come from. However, it was one of, it was our group executive for Australian residents that really drove us to go on board with a managed service yeah. um, to get started with a stronger experimentation program. Now, I now, just want to say for any listener, that wasn't us, right? You weren't working with us as a service provider. No, okay. we weren't. So my, my, question, my question to that is, did you, did you find by bringing on a partner, who will stay unnamed because it's not us, but by bringing on a partner, did you find that helped you accelerate your learning and your growth? Like, would you recommend that to people who are looking to start it? Be honest, this is about growing the community. Yes. So I guess um, we didn't experience a positive flow in that space. And I think that is because we had so many changes. Pardon? I wish I never asked that now. <laughs> I know. I'm like, don't ask. No, it's but right. now I have to go back because you've interrupted me as I'm oh. talking, Emma. Okay. Shush. <laughs> um, and, and for the record, I'm hoping to chime in on the who is the executive level buy-in when we talk about that. So I want to circle back to that at some point. Okay. Sorry, Jess. Go ahead, mate. <laughs> so in terms of uh, bringing this agency on board, we found that it didn't really work. We didn't get what we wanted out of it. And that is because we had so many things changing internally uh -huh. with an agile development approach 
things would change and pivot and the agency weren't able to pivot with us. So we had a year of working through that and we didn't really get the experiment output that we had thought that we would. And so I didn't want that to become a failure to the executives that had been like, try this out, see if it works. Mm. Um, So I kind of put forward that for less money um, and giving me 100% focus on experimentation, that we'd be able to uh, invest in a tool and start the experimentation program internally. And that approach has been something that has turned out to be quite successful over that time. And it's mainly because we've got our ear to the ground about things that are happening within the business and we're able to kind of pivot with what's happening there. And now it's got to a point where we've been able to kind of drive the um, rollout of different uh, products and things like that because we're embedded in there. There's one of the big things that I have, it wasn't so much trouble in getting started, but it was really about getting trust in the results and proof of the benefits of the experiment program. That was kind of the challenge for us. And also kind of being okay with that negative results that we're getting, which I think we have this mentality of placing bets and that test and learn, we still have problems with accepting failures as learnings. Before we jump into that, Jess, could you share what you meant by a challenge being able to trust the results? Yes. So we experienced with the tool that we were using that it wasn't relating well enough with our other data that we were getting through. So from example, Google Analytics, the impact on sales and things like that. There were some issues in how it was being tracked. However, we kind of had to implement some extra things to uh, make sure that that was like for like, I suppose. Um, And we've also transitioned a lot more in terms of, uh, so the tool we used, I guess, was a bit clunky in some regard, and that made it hard for us to kind of say how they were determining results was correct or how we would do it. The, the reason I asked the question is not so that you could say that one tool is able to give more accurate results than another. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose actually, um, going back to your original question, Nima, how to get started, something that we see a lot is really trust in the results. And that's because this is changing the way an organization makes decisions. It had a decision-making process at one point. We are now changing that to run an experiment, let your customers through their actions inform those decisions. But if those decisions are at odds with what people would have done under the old decision-making process, a very natural response is, is the data accurate? How was that analyzed? Correct. And that's kind of, sorry, Nima, that's kind of one of the problems that we've had to overcome is the data points that we've been looking at and how they compare to the data points that we're getting through the tool. I think there's also an element of what we call a win was something that we hadn't confirmed, I suppose, or like what um, significance we were happy with 
and that kind of played a part in that process. And yeah, that believing this is an improvement, even though that end sales at the end of the day doesn't reflect that as much. I think I suppose. there's a couple of things you guys are touching on. One is underlying all of it is maturity. I find the more mature yes. experimentation, the more you start to understand not every, not every test ends in significance. Sometimes you've got to look at trends and you've got to be able to understand and read analytics. So the data, you've got to be able to... The other one is a big one that I find when organisations start this. There's two parts. One is no organisation ever looks at an experimentation tool, or very few look at an experimentation tool and say, I want to understand how your how the statistical significance is actually calculated. I want to understand the stats in the engine. A lot of times they get lost in the WYSIWYG editor and all that other flashbang stuff, but they never, pro and then once they run the desire, run the test and they get a result, what I find happens is this thing called confirmation bias. They either believe that the design that they put into the world is going to win. And if it wins, they're like, I told you so. And you generally, they kind of might not question it initially, but over time they start to or they start to actually realize the importance of the stats engine and the decision of what they're about to do. So I find a lot of times these types of commentary or these kinds of thoughts are around, is really around maturity. The other thing, Jess, I gotta, I gotta say from a service provider perspective, I have to jump in on this one. I, I, I agree with you. I find the clients that are really hard to work with where the organization is still in a state of flux. And that's why we always like, Rich and I, whenever we go out to market, I have this thing where I say, I do four months of proof of concept and I'm picking you as much as I'm picking, uh, as you're picking me. And I just want to know, like, can I work within your entity? Are you set up for us to succeed? Because I generally find like, you're right. When an organization's in that flux and it keeps pivoting, it's really hard as a service provider because you've got to get in, quickly understand the business, quickly put in processes, convince people that are the new processes. And in a way, you're trying to force the company to work your way. And that's not always, that's a really hard task. So I, th I feel like you're right. Like in entities like that, A, you need someone in place who is the head of, and then B, you need a level of stability for a service provider to actually help. And looking at the way you did it, I think that was a really good move, which was, I think given the change we're going through, it needs to be an internal task. It's a really nice, it's actually a really nice piece to do later for a podcast. I, I agree. Um, I think it wasn't the right time for us and it was something that it didn't work for us then, but we've kind of gone through a process over the last 12 months where we've had some support from a strategy perspective on our experimentation program with the external agency and it's work to kind of help us recenter and understand how we can get more out of the experimentation program. So I think there was a level for us in, in terms of the way in which this, this business operates for us to kind of start to understand what we want to get out of the tool, what we know so far. And that's when we would look to engage with yeah. an external um, agency for more support in that space. Yeah. And I think it's such an important thing. And especially like now that you're mature, you know, like it's this bit, I now need an external partner or an external point of view to help me take us to that next level. Like, you know where you're at and you know what help you need. Whereas I find organizations that are so, so new to this and they're like, here's some money, you figure it out. You always fail. You always end up failing because you don't know what success looks like. The partner doesn't know what success looks like. And you ultimately end up crashing and dying. And that once you get to that level of maturity, there's a point in maturity that I find 
uh, partners like us, we end up succeeding. We actually deliver value. And I think it's understanding that point, which is really critical. Rich, you haven't said anything, which is really weird for you. Usually attack me. What's going on? <laughs> I, I'm curious as to, we've diverted from the question that you'd asked about challenges getting started. I felt like I had to defend myself. I'm a service provider. I had to do it, man. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, so go, go back to it. So tell me, your, what do you think your challenge is? Like, we got Jess's. I think we got a good understanding of that one. You know, you work with a lot of brands, dude, like small ones, big ones. What are the challenges you see? Actually, interestingly, in terms of challenges to get started, I think the best learnings come from the organizations that we don't work with. Very philosophical. I love it. <laughs> no, I can back that up. Um, the organizations that we don't work with are ones where they tried this practice yeah. and it was not successful and therefore we never get the chance to work with them. And yeah. that's where the executive buy-in, they say, this doesn't work as a way to make digital decisions. So we're gonna go back to the old way or do something differently. We're not gonna use this as a practice. That's nice, that's insightful. That's so in, term, in terms of the challenges then, it's, I, I don't believe the best way to be successful is to pick something small, do it siloed, have one person running cowboy to show how valuable this is. Because if you fail at that, you don't get a second shot. So it's much better to have the longer discussion, engage the executives, take them on the journey of what you want to do. You can still start small, but mm. at least then you know where you're trying to get to. And in terms of which executives, to your question earlier, I, I actually think it's not an executive buy-in, it's the executive buy-in. As in the senior leadership team needs to be aligned that this is the way that digital can, yeah. is trying to make decisions and proving that out so that it's being discussed, which leads on to the second part that I care about. And that's what are you trying to optimize? And again, if you start small, super siloed, one person chooses the metric that they care about most and you optimize for that. Whereas if you are starting at the executive with the whole vision, it's what is the business trying to do? Yeah. And how does the area that is going to pilot this, how do they roll up to that? So that there's clear alignment for the goals that the organization is trying to optimize to. Yeah. And I think without those, the big plan and tying it to what the organization is trying to achieve, the chance of being successful and being able to mature is much, much less. Yeah, I've got to say, we've got a few clients now that have kind of, like Jess's point, they, they, we had one executive buying and we got to a level where we're running experiment. We got into a, uh, for me, it's all about forming a habit of experimentation, right? We've got into a habit of experimentation. It's only now that I feel like the other executives are sitting at the table and going, it's really interesting what you've been doing. How, how can we apply this to the rest of the business? Like I, I've never had the fortune of going and sitting with the execs and saying, okay, we're about to change the way you work. That hasn't happened for us. I feel like we start in one point, we show that it's capability and, it's, and the outcomes. And then we start raising the question of saying, what other parts of the business do you think could benefit from that? And that's, that's really the common thing that I found. To answer my own question, because that's what you do when you're the <laughs> and we're running out of time. I, I actually, I see the challenge as really simple. Uh, ownership is my is one of the biggest challenges. No, someone, no one really owns it. Like an entity decides they're going to do it, but no one is the program lead. Someone who like like Jess was the lead, right? And then she said, "Hey, listen, I think I can do it myself. So I'm give me some funding and I'll I'll do it myself, right?" I think you need ownership. I, I think there needs to be a level of playing. I think that sense of like if you've never played with it and you come into it you start to think that everything's a silver bullet, like this thing's going to change your world. And I, I feel like that's risky. Um, so I think 
you need to play and you need to kind of be open to the fact that you're just kind of playing around and exploring and then you'll start to go, okay, I see how some of these bits work. Now I'm going to start to get organized. You will naturally hit that point where you're like, let's get serious about this. I think there's some benefits now that I've kind of got my head around it. I think there's some of the challenges that organizations aren't built to play. They're built for results. Um, and then the last bit, I, I, it kind of talks to what you're saying, Rich, is I think they start with the focus of it will solve this problem. They don't actually go, is what, what could it allow us to do? They start with it will solve this problem. And I think that for me is the greatest challenge is walking into an organization saying it's much bigger than that. There's way more you can be doing with it and you need to think more broadly. They're my, they're my ones that I, I always find. Do you, do you guys agree? Is that kind of on the same path? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so um, my name's Nima. You're listening to the New Republic podcast. I'm here with my partners in crime, Rich and Jess. Uh, we're going to take a short break. But when we come back, us three gurus, if I may, are going to give you our top three tips for anyone who's actually excited to start a CRO program. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that soundtrack. I made it myself. Now we're going to talk about top three tips. So if you've just stuck with us for the last, I think about hour, 45 minutes, you're probably hungry to think, hey, how do I do this? What are these guys' top three tips that I can do to kick my CRO program? So being the moderator, uh, I am going to go first, giving everyone a bit of a breath. So my top three tips for anyone who's thinking of starting a CRO program, and if you've been inspired from today, you probably picked up some key points, is number one, don't look at experimentation as just a thing to fix your conversion problems. Think broader. You might think of it from a, you know, you could fix a retention problem. You might be looking at, you know, we've got one client who is doing UX on their product and they just want to make sure that what they're about to implement won't screw up what they already have. So that's one tip. Think broad, look at the problems in a wider scale and think about experimentation rather than just CRO, right? So that's number one tip. Number two tip. Please, please, please make sure you identify someone who's going to own it. Make someone the owner of it. Like you saw Jess and NRB, really good example. She took charge, she put it into place, and you can see they've got a really successful program. Got to have an owner, really critical. And then top tip number three for me is when you're buying a technology and you're going to need a tech, just make sure that you're understanding the, the analytics and the data that's falling out of it. Assess the tool, not by the flashy whizzy bits, look at it from the solution, the, the, the data that it provides and how it came to that, to that outcome. You gotta, you're gonna make multi-million decisions based on that tool. So it's really critical you look at those things. The other thing I would say, and fourth one, I know I'm not supposed to, but here it is. If you need help, call me. Can't help you. <laughs> oh no, you didn't. Yeah, I have to do it. Yes, you wanna go next? Yes, I'll go next. All right, pick it. Uh, so my number one tip is get started. Um, so trial a product, have a play, it'll pay for itself. Next up is be consistent and talk about results. So test ideas, results, anyone you can harp on about experimentation so that people start thinking about what you're doing and how it could apply to them at work. And the last one is keep optimizing that process. So find what works best for you and what the business responds to the most in trying to get started, trying to bring ideas and experiments to light. Yeah, I love that second one, share. 
share and keep sharing. Such a good point. Nice one. Rich. Yeah, that one was going to be my point number three. You've got to communicate what you're doing to the business, communicate the successes, communicate the learnings. Uh, it's useful, first off, but it also means that you get a better chance at continuing your program. But the two before that, um, number one, stealing a line from you, Nima, where you test is almost more important than what you test. So my point number one is use your analytics, identify where the major problems are, the biggest areas of opportunity, and then start with that. And second is to resource it. Really have a think about or talk to someone like Nima and Optimizely about what resources you will need to run a program. A lot goes into it more than you probably think. And to have identified what you need and put those people in place or stolen some of their time before you start can pay real dividends. That was awesome. I got to tell you, I was, I'm more excited at the end than I was at the start. This is awesome. This is so good. Great tips. Thank you. Um, I want to say big thanks to Rich and Jess for joining me today. Uh, hopefully, guys, I'm going to have you back on, on the next one. And thanks for today. And keep listening, guys. We're going to have some great tips coming up and more talks uh, in our months to come. Uh, you've been listening to the New Republic podcast with my co-host Richard and Jess from NIB. If you want to find out more about us, look us up on newrepublic.com and you can find this podcast on Spotify and any other channel that you can get your podcasts on. So thanks very much. Yeah. I feel like we went on a bit of a tangent, but... But Jess, that's the point. It's that banter. I love it. It's so good. <laughs>